listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm Mike Gaston, and I am your host. This is episode number 95 of The Currency Podcast, and I'm recording this on a beautiful, sunny afternoon in Charleston, South Carolina. The temperature right now, 91 degrees. The date, August 29th, 2021. I hope that as you're listening to this, you are living well. I hope that you're blessed, that you're thriving, happy and healthy. But it doesn't matter because when we're done with this episode, your life is going to be transformed or I promise to triple your money back. (laughs) Folks, we're gonna talk about science today. And the reason I wanna tackle the topic of science is because if you're like me, you cannot avoid this topic. It is showing up in every argument, every discussion, every news article, no matter what it is that you're consuming, no matter who it is you're engaging, science seems to be part of this discussion. Now, there's been an ongoing trend for decades, uh, this ascendancy of science in the modern world. Some very obvious reasons about that. for that. We're not, I'm not going to get into all the history and all that jazz. I want to kind of deconstruct this concept of science because it's being used in a way in our modern society that is destructive. It's being used in a way that is stripping you of your liberty. It's being used in a way to contextualize your life in a lie. That's right. Science, in all of its promises, promised that it would show us the truth. They told us that science would lead us to the truth, that the the beautiful, illuminating light of the Enlightenment would guide the way because science is this new tool for modernism. And that under science, you and I would be living this liberated, wonderful life where we're, where we're maximizing our utility to such a degree that we are enlightened beings. We're moving along Maslow's hierarchy uh, and we're becoming self-actualized. I'm here to tell you right now that is not happening. Yes, science has delivered so many wonderful things. There isn't an aspect of human life that science has not touched and touched typically in a good way. But we're at a place in, in history and society right now where everything is on the line. And any argument you hear, I mean, we're so fractured. We are so partisan right now. We are at every each other's throats. Everyone's at each other's throats. Part of the reason for that, by the way, is the fact that we don't have any shared cultural anything. We don't have shared race. We don't have shared religion. We don't have shared languages anymore. We don't have shared value systems. We don't even have shared understandings of the ancient institutions of mankind, meaning marriage, faith, religion, all these things. We don't have anything that's shared. We don't even share the same idea about ideal governmental structures from which, with which, our our societies should be uh, managed or led by. There's just none of that. So, so when you have a culture, when you have a society, which is not just America, Europe's going through the same thing, you've got some other countries going through the same thing. When we don't have anything that's shared, this is the birthright, or the, I would say this is kind of the gift, quote unquote, that multiculturalism has given us. When you don't have anything shared, you end up at each other's throats because if you strip out all the institutions that mediate, that institutions that help keep mankind together, when you get rid of things like religion, when you get rid of things like the family, when you when you weaken and destroy things like politics and government and, and uh, education, rather, the arts and so on, what you're left with is raw power. And so if you have no shared experiences and you don't have shared goals, you don't share interests, All that's left is raw power, and that shows up in the political arena where we're at each other's throats trying to gain power and wield it over those that we find to be on the other side of our argument, those that we feel threaten our way of life. So that's 
just a quick comment, a little bit of context. We're not here to talk politics so much today. We're here to talk about science. And at the end of this discussion, I think that you're going to have a transformed view of science. I think I'm hoping that this podcast is going to help you gain better insight into this thing that we're talking about all the time. Now, this thing is, as I said, affected us in so many wonderful ways. There isn't an aspect of human life that it hasn't touched for the better. But science right now is destructive. It promised us light. Back in the Enlightenment, they said to us, I'm just not going to go through a huge history lesson here, but, but the Enlightenment thinkers told us that science was going to liberate man from the darkness, from superstition, from the, the, the evil, manipulative, controlling hand of the church, that science was going to dispel all those figments of our imagination that kept us in fear, things like burning in hell or uh, demons or whatever these things were. It was going to illuminate everything, and we were going to see the world through the eyes of science, and that world was going to be beautifully well lit. It was going to wipe away fear, and we were going to be free, that human beings would be liberated to live independent and free to discover and pursue their own happiness. That's what science was going to do. That was the promise that science made to all of us. And we, through our forebearers and now in our modern society, have embraced that promise. I'm here to tell you that science has not delivered on that. I'm not going to get too much into that, but I just want to say science has not delivered on that. And I want to address one of the reasons why I think this is. So here's my question for you. How can it be that when you engage in an argument or you observe an argument over COVID-19, let's use that because that is the big topic right now and has been for the last year and a half. As we engage in these arguments, these public debates, as we observe them and so on, we see someone like Dr. and Senator Rand Paul uh, square up against Dr. Uh, Fauci. Uh, you might be talking to a coworker, a family member, or a friend. Uh, you might be online and engaging or watching YouTube videos. You might be on some forum. Everyone is at odds. We're fighting, but everyone, each side claims to have the science on their side. Uh, Dr. R uh, Senator Rand Paul says that science is on his side. On the other hand, uh, you look and Dr. Fauci is saying science is on his side. In fact, in fact, Dr. Fauci a uh, slip of the tongue there kind of made the comment the he he implied quite almost explicitly implied if that's possible almost that he was science like to disagree with him was to disagree with science and i think dr fauci's comment there if you remember that one is one of the heated exchanges between him and rand paul i think that that exchange and that comment that he made starts to reveal one of the problems one of the reasons that we're having an issue with science. And here's the thing, when people are talking about science, everyone's saying, I trust the science. Everyone's saying the science is on my side. You've got one side saying we've got a lockdown society. The other side says this is ridiculous, but both sides are going to science to prove their position. You got one side saying you got to mask up. You got another side saying that's ridiculous. Both sides, again, go to quote unquote, the science to prove their point. Same for the vaccines, not really vaccines. We'll call them, uh, why are they not really vaccines? If this is news to you, if you've never heard anybody say this, a vaccine is typically attenuated virus, meaning they inject in you a weakened form of whatever the sickness is. Your body learns to beat it up. It makes it easy. It's like here, uh, it's like kind of a mother cat giving a kitten a damaged uh, mouse. Then the kitten, you know, fights the, throws the mouse around, and then it kind of gets a taste for, oh, this is what it's like to hunt and kill. 
<laughs> so we're training our bodies to kill these foreign invaders. And that's what a true vaccine does. Whenever you've gotten a shot in the past, whether it was for polio or any of these other things, these were attenuated versions of whatever the sickness is that we're trying to inoculate against. That's inoculation. Give somebody a little bit of the weakened, their body builds up the defenses. Next thing you know, when it comes into contact with the real deal, not a problem. We got this. This, uh, this, this injection is not that. It's uh, mRNA. It's kind of playing with your, our, your DNA, whatever, MR, I don't know. It's like playing with it. It's tweaking it. It's your body's manufacturing the spike protein, blah, blah, blah. Regardless, we go back and forth on this. Everybody's quoting, quote unquote, the science. How can it be that every side is claiming that the science is on their side? There's something broken here. And it's not just a matter of, well, people know how to mess with statistics. That's absolutely a thing. But it's not just that people are playing with statistics. And it's not just that people are lying. That's a thing. I and mean, there's a lot of lying and deception going on. There is a lot of statistical chicanery going on. And there's just a lot of statistical mishandling. You know, statistics, you talk to anybody that goes through college that had to take statistics. For most people, statistics is tough. They're like, oh, yeah, I struggled. I, I, I was a 4-0 student, but boy, statistics, that was a hard one. Or I, I've met numerous people that said I had to take statistics a couple times, uh, you know, to get through. I've talked to people that got a degree in economics, of all things, and they had to redo statistics because they struggled with it. How can you do economics and struggle with statistics? It's tough. And so sometimes you get like the news media or other people that are quoting statistics, but they don't use them correctly. Sometimes that's deceptive and, and on purpose, but often it's just they're it's lazy. It's just intellectual laziness. They don't really know how to understand statistics. They don't sit and do the work themselves. They don't dig in. They just take a press release, pull a couple of statements, and they go, oh, here's the statistic. This new study shows that uh, 10% of people that eat toast that's uh, darker toast, a little bit of burnt crust on there, going to get cancer. I mean, that's, you know, when the study and the statistics, statistics don't even really say that. So anyway, there is all that going on, but there's something else here. And here's what it is. When we talk about science, we're actually talking about three different, very different things. We're not talking about the same thing. So when people say they trust the science, they could be talking about one of three things. And only one of these is really legitimate. So let's start with the first one. The first one that is legitimate, that's true science, that you should be looking at, that you should be trying to use and engage, is the idea of science as a process or a method. If you did any high school maybe even grade school, uh, you know, history or science, you would have learned about the scientific method. This is science. This is the empirical method. This is where you develop a hypothesis. You then start to test and analyze, you know, so you observe something, you develop a hypothesis about it, then you test, you analyze, and then you look at the data that comes out of that test, and then you make a conclusion. You know, you try to understand, was the hypot hypothesis correct? Was my hypothesis incorrect? So you're looking at a situation and you're saying, well, I kind of think, I'm noticing a trend here. I think that, you know, all blue widgets uh, are square, I think that's the case. All the blue widgets that I've noticed, they're square. Let's do an experiment. That's my hypothesis that all blue widgets are, are square. Then you, you try to do this, this empirical test. You gather up as many blue widgets as you can and you start sampling through and 
What you notice as you start looking at them and putting them through some type of scientific process is you notice that 90% of them are square, but there's a 10% variation where there where there are other shapes, circular or triangular or whatever. Then. And then so you come out and you go, look, we did a scientific experiment. We measured all of them against the criteria for being square. And we realized that most blue widgets are square, but there is an anomaly. Now we don't know why. We can't tell you why that is. We don't understand what causes the anomaly. We don't know why most are one way and some are the other. But we've noticed that there's a variation. So it's not true that all blue widgets are square. Most are square and some are something else. That's the scientific method. That is a tool. And that, that tool was developed in the Enlightenment. I mean, this is like a, a 17th century, 16th century tool that we discovered as mankind. And what we've been using that for is to try to understand the natural world around us. Anything that can be measured, we're trying to measure it. We're trying to understand it. We're testing things and trying to get a better understanding of, of these things. Now, the scientific method uh, where it runs into trouble is where we start to think of it as a revealer of truth. And I've heard people talking about this a lot lately. You know, it's like science is the truth. I've heard even the new atheists, guys like uh, Sam, uh, what's his name? Sam Harrison. I've heard Neil deGrasse Tyson. Some of these guys just, you know, like science tells us the truth. I'm here to tell you that is the biggest load of BS that I've ever heard. That is an arrogant that's, that's like an adolescent comment. That's such a, that's like, I'm a child and I want to prove to you how much I know. And I, yeah, I know I'm attacking Sam Harris and Neil deGrasse Tyson who have, you know, way more probably intellectual power than I do, whatever. But I got to tell you, when I hear these guys talk about science is truth, it tells us the truth. I just, my, my head spins and here's why. And there's a very simple reason for this. This isn't me saying, you oh, but only God can tell us the truth, which I, like that's a whole nother metaphysical transcendent discussion, theological. I'd love to have that discussion, but there's a very simple, natural, materialistic reason that science can't necessarily tell us the truth. And, and that is that science is only measuring the thing. We can never totally know the thing a hundred percent. If we're trying to understand something, science is a way to try to measure it, to test it, to, to try to get our arms around it. And here's the problem. The tools that we have at our disposal are limited. They're never perfect. Even an electron microscope that can get down to the atomic level to see atoms isn't 100% precise. Have you ever seen some of the images that come out of electron microscope? Now, we're always improving our technology. We're always improving our capability. And so to that point, science is giving us an ever-improving picture of the world around us. It can never tell us exactly what is only God really knows that. I mean, you, you, we're measuring something with imperfect tools. Take a two by four. You're going to cut a two by four and you need to cut it exactly. And to my listeners that are not in the imperial, uh, imperial world, a two by four is a, is a plank of wood that is uh, two inches high by four inches wide. So you've got a height and a width and then you've got a length that's indeterminate. You can get them that are, you know, eight feet long, 20 feet long. But let's say you've got a 10 foot two by four and you need to cut that thing precisely at six feet. You're going to get out your tape measure and you're going to, and you're going to, you know, pull it out and you're going to measure off and mark with a pencil six feet. And then you're going to take your circular saw and zip it. 
How many of you are willing to bet that that is six feet to like to the very perfect, perfect, perfect six foot mark? And there's so much imperfection in that system that the tape measure itself, first of all, you're assuming that the markings on the tape measure are accurately laid down from the very beginning of the tape measure. You know, like the first, you know, 16th of an inch is perfect to the very end of the tape measure. And by the way, the tape measure uses a little hook on the end, which is bolted on. That probably adds an eighth of an inch. So, you, you know, you're, you're, you don't even know if you're starting correctly. Then you zip that thing out. You're eyeballing it. Like, how good are your eyes? Then you're going to sit with a pencil and you're going to tick off at the six foot mark. Well, how close were you off by, you know, one thirty second of an inch, uh, half a millimeter? Like, were you right on the money? How steady are your hands? And then you're going to take that skill saw and bring it down. It's an approximation. Now, when you're building a deck in the backyard, it doesn't need to be so perfect. It's okay to have a little bit of slop. A little bit of slop's not going to hurt anything, and you can fix it on the fly as you're building. But as we're talking about science, we talk about this telling us the truth. We have to understand that our instruments are analogous to the instruments that we use to do our daily work. They're just instruments. The tape measure and the skill saw and our eyeball and the pencil those are all imperfect instruments. They're good enough for what we're trying to do. And so in science, we also have instruments that we use to measure. And these instruments are not perfect. These are not godlike instruments that can get down to the very infinitesimal level of understanding, of measurement, of any quality of any natural physical thing. So we get as close as we can. That's the first problem with this, you know, this thing that science tells us the truth. The second problem is the actual scientist, the person using the instrument. This person is imperfect. They have biases and perceptions and worldviews, and they have good eyes or bad eyes, and they have shaky hands or, un, you know, they, they are sharp minds in the morning and they, they f, you know, get fatigued in the afternoon. I mean, we have all these things as, as organisms that we bring to the table. So you've got these imperfect organisms with complex emotional, psychological, and physical limitations. Every human being has them. Scientists are not some different breed of animal. They're human beings just like me and you. They have mortgages. They have marriages. They're divorced. They had parents that treated them like crap. They've got all their hangups. Some of them like country music. Some of them like classical. Some drink too much alcohol. I mean, on and on and on. They're just human beings. They're smart people, usually. They're well-educated most of the time, but they're just people. So you've got imperfect organisms, human beings, using less than perfect tools, trying to get the best approximation that they can of the thing that they're observing. And so when we look at science, science is not a thing that tells us the truth. It's not a thing that reveals the truth. It gives us an approximation of the world around us. It just helps us to understand the natural world in which we live. It can't tell us what is perfect and true. And the other thing about science is it's amoral. So this is the last of three things that are the issue with this comment about it tells us the truth. Science can't tell you what is good. It can't tell you what is right. It can just tell you what is. It can just tell you that that two by four is exactly six feet long. That's all it can tell you. It can't tell you if it's good to have a two by four that's six feet long. It can't tell you if it's bad. It can't tell you should that two by four be used for building a deck or should it rather be used for hitting somebody over the head in a riot. 
it can't tell you these things. It can only tell you what is. It can only look and say, that is a two by four. It can tell you what it's comprised of. It can tell you uh, its density. It can tell you how easily it will burn. It can tell you how much energy it'll release when it burns. It can tell you all these things about it. It can tell you information points, data points about it. It can't tell you what's good, right. And that's the, the, you need that to know the truth. The truth isn't just data points. And, and, and this is a significant flaw for people that are just wound up that science is everything. It can just tell you what is, but it can't tell you what's good. And I think for a lot of these people, there is no such thing as good. And that's troubling. That should be troubling, especially when all of us are running around saying, I trust the science. So the first thing that we have here is science as a method or a process. This is a good thing. It tells us, it gives us an ever improving understanding of the world around us. It makes the best approximation it possibly can. That's getting better all the time but it does it through the empirical method, that scientific process that we all learned about in grade school science class. That is science, kids. Grade school science class, the 1700s, the 16th century, that's science. Now, that I'm not trying to mock it saying it's no good. I'm not saying, oh, look how old it is. It's just in children understand it. But when we talk about science, we have to talk about the empirical method. And as people are running around saying the science, the science, I trust the science, I highly doubt that most of these people are looking at specific uh, scientific results of studies. They're not looking at data points. They're not looking at studies. And the other thing, because it's never perfect, we're always learning. We've made terrible mistakes in the name of science. We were rubbing DDT uh, on the face of children saying, look, no mosquito bites. Rub your kid down in DDT. Can you imagine that? Like DDT, like it's just mind blowing. We were giving women th uh, thalidomide thinking that, well, this helps with morning sickness. And then people were born with misshapen limbs. These, and these were honest science mistakes. I think, I think they were honest. I, I hate to think that the manufacturers of DDT were pushing this just to, to make a buck. Uh, and then you've got the evil science stuff that was happening. And now, I don't, forget Nazi Germany. We were doing experiments on our own human beings, our own neighbors, our own citizens in America. The Tuskegee experiments, you know, I come from Rochester, New York. Uh, I'm a refugee out, in, uh, to, out of Rochester to Charleston, but... You know, at the University of Rochester, I think they were doing some experiments uh, with African-American black folks. They were injecting them with, with radioactive material to, and not telling them just to see what would happen to them. I need to look that one up. I need more data on that. I, I believe that happened at the U of R. If anybody in my listening audience knows the truth of that, please get in touch. I know that that did happen. I just don't know. Was the U of R, University of Rochester, part of that process? Long and short of it, we've made some terrible mistakes with science because it only tells us what is. It's only an approximation. It doesn't tell us the truth. And so we have to understand that science is a tool. Uh, it's just like that tape measure. So that's the first one. I know I'm going a little long on this. Let me jump into the second and third elements. I say when people are talking about science, well, what are these three things? The next one is science as a philosophy. Now, some people, and this kind of gets back to the, the comment I made about, uh, you know, Sam Harris and, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Some people have embraced the concept of, of say, scientism or positivism. And you can look positivism up uh, on, on Wikipedia. Essentially, when science hit the scene and it started doing its thing, there were people that said, hey, look, 
we used to believe in God. We used to believe in the transcendent, the spirit world. Essentially, what we've decided is that we only believe in what science can measure. If it can't be measured, then we don't believe in it, which means we only believe in things that are in the material or the natural world. And this is where people get tripped up in their faith. They're like, well, you know, scientifically, yeah, I mean, people used to believe in God until science came around and, you know, you can't like measure God. So I don't really think he exists. There's a bit of a circular logic in that, which is God is not material. He's not natural. He's supernatural. That's what we talk about. Supernatural. You know, people talk, I saw a ghost. You you can't measure a ghost. (laughs) You, You can't measure the spirit world. It is outside of the natural world. And so uh, if it exists, now I, b- I believe, I know, I have faith, not just blind faith. I know that it exists. I've experienced God in, in powerful ways in my life, multiply different powerful ways. And not just like a little tingle up my spine. But, but if the spiritual world exists, you know, just bear with me here. Let's say you don't believe in it. That's fine. But if it exists, you couldn't measure it with science anyway. So what, what science as a philosophy is saying, we're not saying that we prove that God doesn't exist. And so we're going to move on. Now, I hear these people like, you know, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. Well, why? Well, I just, it's, you know, I can't, how do I know that God's a, God exists? I just, I just can't know. And so there's no scientific way. And so I just decided he doesn't exist. It's really just a decision at that point. It's like, if I can't touch or taste or feel or smell, then it must not exist. It's kind of what Doubting Thomas went through. He said, hey, uh, when Christ rose from the dead, he's like, until I can put my fingers in the wounds, you know, you got stabbed in the side, you were nailed to the cross. Until I can put my fingers in your wounds, I'm not going to believe. And, and, you know, he kind of went down in history as having no faith. He's like, he wanted wanted proof. but, but we're kind of like that as moderns. But this idea of science as a philosophy is this worldview that science is going to fix all, that science is going to deliver for us a perfect life, a perfect world, that it will continue to extend our lives, maybe eventually give us immortality. It's going to eliminate hunger. Science is going to eliminate pain and sickness. There'll be no more sorrow. We can medicate away any deficiencies, any depression. We can fix any physical ailment. Science can fix our economy. Science can create great riches. (laughs) Great witches. Uh, That's not a slip, is it? The truth wants to come out. Science is going to do all these things. And so science kind of replaces God. Science becomes a philosophy. There is no transcendent. I don't believe in the, in the spiritual world anymore because I'm a, I'm, I believe in positivism or scientism. So we do in this modern world, when people talk about science, that is one of the things that they're talking about. They're not necessarily talking about data. They're not talking about the material, um, sorry, the empirical method. They're talking about this philosophy that they have embraced saying that I only believe in the material world. And not only that, I believe that science will, will fix all. And so I trust the science. Again, they're not saying I trust the empirical data that came out of that test that I looked at. They're not saying I believe that the hypothesis that they're testing is, is turning out to be true. They're saying I trust that science, this kind of God that we've embraced is going to make everything better. I trust it. You've heard Christians say, I trust God. And and you've, you've rolled your eyes and thought, what a bunch of goofballs. At the same time, you've got people saying the same thing about science, that science is going to make everything better. So this is science as a philosophy. So as we're hearing people argue about, I trust the science and the science is on my side. And I believe in science. My goodness, I believe in science. That 
that statement right there is science as a philosophy. I believe in science. And what people are essentially saying, and we all do this. Look, I'm not over here saying I don't believe in science. I think the empirical method is phenomenal. I think it's made our lives better. Understanding the physical world, physical world that we live in has given us great gifts. It's given us great, we've unlocked amazing things. Some of them have come at quite a cost. Sometimes we, we rashly go forward too quickly and we don't have discussions around ethics and morality, truth and goodness. We just say, well, we can do it. Scientifically, we can do it. So why wouldn't we? But ultimately, this idea that I believe in science, that is a religious statement. That is a statement of faith that I believe as a statement of faith that science is going to solve all problems. And so this is one of the reasons that we're in this, this dogmatic argument, because people are talking about science as a faith or science as a philosophy. Now, there's a third element to this. There's one more kind of science that, that people are talking about when they refer to, I believe, or I trust the science. And that is science as an institution. And this last one, if the first two did not give you pause, the, you know, understanding that science is a tool and we've elevated that tool to this kind of truth-telling, you know, oracle. Science is going to tell us the truth, which it really is not equipped to do. It can't. It can only tell us what is. It can't tell us why. It can't tell us what we should think about it. We have to decide those things. So science as a method is a fantastic tool for understanding, gaining an ever-growing understanding of the world around us. Science as a philosophy, even if you... Uh, uh, Embrace that. You've listened to me and said, yeah, Mike, I still don't believe, I still think science is going to solve everything. This last one right here should give you pause. This last one is science as an institution. So you've got science as a method, science as a philosophy or a worldview or a religion. And lastly, you've got science as an institution. And this is where the whole house of cards comes down. Science as an institution is is a political animal. And I say political with a small p. This is a collection of individuals, as I mentioned before, with marriages and alimony payments and visions of grandeur and hunger for wealth, hunger to be noted, hunger to ascend to the top of their career. These are people that want to buy bigger houses, that want to go on vacations, that want to be invited to the best parties, to live in the best neighborhoods, to the kids to go to the best schools, to get into the right country clubs. Now, I'm not, I'm not damning these people for wanting these things. Don't get me wrong. Lots of people besides scientists want these things. And that's the point. These, again, are human beings with human desires, human foibles, human strengths, human weaknesses. And these things inform science as an institution. Science as an institution are all the government departments that are science-oriented, like the Department of Health and, and uh, National Institute of Health, which Dr. Fauci is leading up for us fearlessly. And these are all the universities and colleges, the MITs of the world and the universities of Rochester. These are all the medical centers doing research. These are the not-for-profits and the for-profits. These are the journals and the publications that publish all the scientific research. This is all the funding and granting uh, stuff that happens. These are the partnerships between commerce, technology, and the scientific community. These are countries globally. This is the World Health Organization and on and on and on. That is science as an institution. 
This is science as an organization comprised of many organizations, obviously. I'm kind of abstracting here when I say as an institution, but what I'm talking about is this is a collection of people receiving paychecks, wanting to get promoted. These are people wanting to be noted that are, that are protecting their work, not wanting a colleague to steal it from them. This happens all the time. Just like any institution, just like the church was criticized for being corrupted, for being wicked way back in the day, hundreds and hundreds of thousand years ago, Catholic Church still has a problem today, nothing against my Catholic listeners, but the Catholic Church as an institution has some terrible problems. It had terrible problems a thousand years ago, and it will continue to have terrible problems until the day the Lord returns. Why is that? Because it's populated by human beings. I'm picking on the Catholic Church. Pick any human organization. Take the school district that you live in. Take uh, the political party that you're affiliated with. I mean, you know, take any, you know, uh, group of artists. I mean, any group that comes together with people is going to have issues. You've been on boards before. You've volunteered your time in organizations. A lot of you work jobs. You know, anywhere where people are collected, there are problems. And science as an institution has its problems. There's tons of money involved in science these days. There's tons. I mean, you, you can be a rock star if you're a successful scientist, you can make millions and millions and millions of dollars as a scientist these days if you make it. And there's a lot of room underneath those guys making millions and millions, a lot of room to have really good lives. It's a highly competitive, it's cut th- uh, industry, it's cutthroat, it's tough. You can't just be an empiricist to succeed in science as an institution. And those scientists that just want to do good science, forget it, you're screwed. Your, your work's never going to see the light of day. You're never going to get the grants. You're never going to be in the limelight. You are subjugated, relegated to the, to the, the back of the line. You've got to be good at networking. You've got to be good at winning grants. You've got to be good at stepping on the next guy to get that promotion, to be in the front of the line, to get the limelight, to be the pundit, to be the person that's interviewed, so on and so forth. So a lot of times when we're talking about science, we're also referring to science as an institution. And I think we're not critical enough of science as an institution. It's not that we have to overhaul it. It's not that we have to change it. I think people within science as an institution talk about that. Eric Weinstein has some fantastic uh, insight on that. You might want to look him up. Um, Physicist, his brother, Brett, uh, is a, uh, uh, what is it, a cellular, he's a molecular biologist, something, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) But uh, they've got some critiques of science as an institution, but I think what we fall prey of is we think these scientists are gods somehow, they're different than us. And so we look at science as an institution and think it must be pure, it must be holy, it must only put out good product. And we, and we, it's no different than your office. The office politics that go on that you've witnessed in your job, people having an affair with each, people having affairs with each other, bosses treating some people favorably, other people just crapping on them. And who knows why, you know, people coming to work with all kinds of personal problems, problems with their teenage kids, problems with their spouse. You know, some people have gambling issues and so it affects the way that they make decisions at the office. Some people, you know, you get all this stuff. Science as an institution is no different than that. And yet somehow we as a group go, oh, uh, the science, well, it was published in the such and such journal. It must be science. You have no idea that maybe there was some back 
room dealing. There's no, you have no idea that maybe somebody might be blackballed because they dared to say the wrong thing at a conference or question somebody else's work who's a big muckety-muck in the science world. You don't think that they step on each other, bury each other, and, and behave in cutthroat ways? You don't think that that happens in science as an institution? Now, that's not to say that everything that comes out of science as an institution is bad, but when you've got an organization like the WHO or the CDC, or pick any acronym that you want to, you have to look at that critically and cynically and say, hold on a second, that is a group of human beings. And I know when a group of human beings get together, some good can come of it, but by golly, often a lot of bad comes out too. You got to be a little bit more of a critical thinker. You know, gone are the days where you just go to your medical doctor and go, well, the doctor said, oh, doctors like gods. The doctor said, nobody questions the doctor. Oh, we all know now. We know that doctors have drinking problems, that they have, uh, you know, money problems. And sometimes they got such distractions that when they tell us something, they're not paying attention. They're bought off by the pharmacology department, uh, the companies, whatever. And, and they're not really giving good advice. So we, what do we do? We get second opinions. We look things up on the internet. We check them. We check them. We got to start checking the scientists, kids. And so you've got those three things. You've got science as a method, science as a philosophy or religion, and you've got science as an institution. And when people are arguing with each other saying, I trust the science, think about what you're hearing there. Are they talking about science as religion? I believe that science will solve all problems. It's my God. I'm following it blindly. How dare you? How dare you affront my God? Are they talking about science as an institution? Dr. Fauci says, I don't care what Dr. Fauci says. He's a man running an organization. I want to hear what he has to say, but he's, he's not telling me the truth necessarily. I've got to figure that out. Or are we talking about science as a method? And if we're talking about science as a method, are we talking about an ever increasing understanding of what is real? Or are we talking about what we think is true? Because I don't think it can give us the latter. So I think as you're going through your day and you're hearing people talk about, I trust the science, think to yourself, what are they really saying? And push back, help people understand this and hold yourself accountable. Don't start throwing a, I trust the science, unless you're really bringing some data to the table. Don't listen to news articles that are, that are throwing out supposed science to scientific facts. That, that stuff is just, it's just not useful. Get to the data, start looking at the studies. It's not that hard. Yeah, I know you're not going to get into quantum physics, but right now, you know, the thing that we're looking at in our society isn't about quantum physics. It's about biology and virology and, quite frankly, common sense. Look at the actual death rates. Look at the contributing factors to those death rates. Look at what's really going on. Don't read an article and hear some half-wit explanation with no data points whatsoever and no references to those data points and go, oh my God, we're going to die. Yes, you are going to die. I promise you that. We all are. But the odds are 99.97% in your favor that it's not going to be COVID-19. Guys, as always, I hope this is useful and I love you all. Do me a favor. If you're a subscriber, Sign up for my newsletter. I've got a newsletter. I'm putting it out a little bit more often. Would love to have you guys sign up. Just go over to MikeGaston.com. The sign-up form is right on my homepage. You can get my free newsletter where I share my best thinking on a quasi-regular basis. No spam. Never sell your info. Never spam. You can unsubscribe at any time 
but sign up. I'd like to be able to keep in touch with you guys on multiple platforms. I'm grateful that you're here on this podcast. I'm grateful that you're a listener, but do me a favor, connect me with that way. If you want to hook up with me on LinkedIn, just shoot me a note. If you do reach out to me because you're a listener to the show, when you send the invite, let me know that you're a listener to The Currency and it would be my pleasure to connect with you. And of course, get in touch with me for anything. If it can help you in any way, you want to continue this discussion, uh, you want to push back on anything that I said, I, w- I gladly welcome that. Just shoot me an email at mike at mikegaston.com. And it would be my pleasure to interact with you guys. I love you all and I'll catch you in the next episode.